We're joined now by uh, Adam Sparks of the Tennessean. He covers Vanderbilt as we get a little bit more in-depth knowledge on what the Commodores uh, will bring to Ross-Ade Stadium uh, this Saturday for the for the noon kickoff. Adam, uh, thanks for joining us. I understand you're you're batting a little bit of the flu, but uh, you still say that you're you're good to go to come to the game on Saturday. Yeah, a little bit. I've got a couple days to get this out of me. I, I hear the weather's a little cooler up there too, so maybe maybe, maybe that'll be good for me. Yeah, the uh, the the forecast is uh, somewhere in the 70s, maybe 74, 75. So it'll be nice, comfortable Midwestern weather weather for you instead of that uh, that hot, steamy uh, SEC weather that you have every every week. Yeah, Vandy has been practicing mostly in the mornings, but uh, just today, I think when they left the field, it was 93. So um, they, they would be better off, I think, playing Purdue down here than playing Purdue up there. But uh, uh, you, you don't get to bring the weather with you. Well, we'll, we'll check the temperature in uh, 2029 when I think the return trip for this game is, is is scheduled and probably either one of us won't be covering that game at, at that point but that, that's... I, I, I think by that point sea level supposed to be already <laughs> over the field <laughs> yeah her, hurricane dorian would make its way to tennessee by that point that's right that's right <laughs> all right well let's uh, let's talk about uh, vanderbilt and from your perspective uh op- season opening loss to georgia not a surprise that georgia won that game and kind of won that game convincingly 30 to 6 but I guess what did you see out of the Commodores that uh, that they can take into this game and maybe have some success against Purdue yeah I mean there's I'm sure the coaching staff doesn't feel this way but I think a reasonable person looks at that game and says it's somewhat of a mulligan game um, you know Bandy was not going to win that game they were overmatched every position um, Georgia is, is a legit national title contender if you know if um there was more bad than good, obviously, in that game. If you want to look at some of the good, uh, Vandy uh, adjusted well after the first quarter and played uh, much better defense. You know, they were down 21 to nothing in a hurry. And then from the rest of the way, it was a 9-6 ball game. Um, so they, they found some things defensively in the second half that they'll try to carry over into this one. The problem is, you know, uh, Georgia is a team that just bludgeons you with the run, overmatches you up front. Um, you know they're going to have to be uh, much better in defending the pass against Purdue. So it's it's you know a little different styles. Um, offensively, the the you know the big question for Vanderbilt has been the, the quarterback. They lost their all-time leading passer last year, uh, Kyle Shermer. They have really good skill players, at least for 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 Vanderbilt level uh, historically. Really, even for SEC level, I guess they have three all SEC guys in offense, and they didn't touch the ball that much. They're they have a uh, a tight end that's a first or second round draft pick next year, and he he had I think two catches. They have an all SEC wide receiver who had three catches for I think eight yards, and uh, they had a running back that got 15 carries, Keyshawn Baum, Illinois transfer. They would like to get him 20 to 25 carries in this game. They just they just didn't have the ball enough against Georgia, but. Um, you know, the new quarterback, Riley Neal, uh, Ball State transfer, uh, was he started off that game 11 of 13. That sounds great, but it's, he got six yards per completion. They just did not throw downfield at all. So people are a little fidgety right now if he's the right guy or not, but um, he showed good accuracy uh, on short stuff. They're going to have to throw it downfield because I think Vandy feels like uh, a difference in this game is that they're not going to win this game unless they get up into the 30s because Purdue is certainly going to score that much. So uh, 
why did Riley uh, Neal win this job? What about his talents kind of stood out in camp that gave him the at least the, the chance here early on to, to be the quarterback? Well, Deuce Wallace is the uh, is the backup. He's a uh, redshirt junior. He maybe would have had a better leg up had he played last year. He was suspended last season for a uh, violation of university policy, whatever that means. So he, he sat out a year, and during that that off, during that season that he sat out, they said, "We, you know, I don't know if we can if he's our guy or not. We need to go get an insurance policy." And you know, as teams all do now, you look around at the grad transfer, see who's available, and you know, Riley Neal fit all the criteria of what their previous quarterback, Kyle Shermer, had. A big arm, a pocket guy, um, you know, he's 6'6", he looks the part, he has the good arm. He, they, they felt like he, he's a guy that could get the ball to their, to their good skill players. Um, and in the offseason, they, you know, I, I think psychologically, Riley Neal almost came in with the lead because uh, Vanderbilt has a new offensive coordinator, and it's the same system they've had because they elevated they basically elevated their quarterback to coach in the offseason to, to OC. When they did that, everything that you heard in the offseason was, well, Riley Neal's played a lot of football. It, it was in the MAC, yeah, but, it, you know, MAC produces a lot of good quarterbacks historically. He played against Big Ten teams, he played against Notre Dame. It had 32 starts at Ball State, threw for 7,000 plus yards. You know, I think they just felt a comfort level that if you're gonna you're gonna bring in a new quarterback, you feel safer with a guy that's played a whole lot of college football, and Riley Neal did that. So I won't say it was his job to lose because he was new, but I think they were certainly eager to find good things about his game uh, to to give him the job, and that they saw enough out of him to to convince them that he could be the guy for the long haul. Now whether he will or not, I don't know. I think actually this game will determine. Uh, quite a bit whether he's the the starter uh, for the full season or if they start to to switch back and forth. And you mentioned they, you know, and the one thing that that uh, stood out to me about Vanderbilt's offense is the guys that you mentioned at the skill positions that were back that were all um, SEC guys. I mean, that that's hard to do in that league. Uh, so they have to stand out somewhere. You know, Georgia's, you know, as as we mentioned, maybe not a true indication of what what's to come for Vanderbilt. But what did those guys do last year to elevate them to SEC caliber play? And how long is it going to take for them to get back to that level this year? Well, I mean, I think it could just take one game if they kind of put the pieces together. They had so many issues and injuries with the offensive line, uh, almost a completely new offensive line against Georgia. And Georgia is not the type of team that you want to roll out new lineman for if they get that fixed I, I think they have the right offense to utilize those skill guys um, Keyshawn Vaughn the running back Illinois transfer um, he is a home run threat he uh, he led he led college football last year and I think it was carries of 40 yards or more or 60 yards or more or one of those stats a big play guy um, you know that they played Baylor in the Texas Bowl um, last December, and he had six, he had three carries of 66 yards or more. He is a legitimate home run threat. He's he's he'll be an NFL back because of that. If you give him a seam, he'll take it to the house. And that's not a type of guy that Vanderbilt has had. Usually, Vanderbilt has these kind of you know grind it out, work hard, a step slow, but runs the ball with a lot of determination type guys. Um, he's not a he's not a uh, spunky type of underdog guy he's a he's a get in the open field he'll outrun your guy type of running back 
Um, Jared Pinckney is the best NFL prospect of the bunch, the tight end. Um, he led, uh, of, of all the tight ends in college football returning, he led everybody in that receiving yards last year. But he, he's a prototypical new age uh, athletic tight end. Last year with the, the previous quarterback, he was really good about catching balls on, on seam routes, get behind the linebacker in front of the, the safety, and he's a guy that can go up and get the ball. He came in uh, as, a, as a wide receiver, bulked up his body, turned into a tight end. You can see the athleticism of a wide receiver when he's in the open field. Uh, Kalaja Lipscomb is their wide receiver, uh, led all the SEC in receptions last year with 87. He's, he's, he's not a deep threat. He's more of a possession guy, which, again, is why they, they wanted to utilize him against Georgia, and they'll look to utilize him far more against Purdue because when it's third and six, you throw it to him, he's going to catch it. That's kind of his, his reputation. And So those three guys were all underused in the opener, and this type of game where I think Bandy feels like it will be a high-scoring affair, uh, those three guys have to all show up and have to be utilized. They're not, they're not going to be able to keep pace with Purdue. Well, I think Purdue fans are very familiar with Keyshawn Vaughn, or at least they should be. Go back to 2015 when he was a a true freshman at Illinois. He rushed for 180 yards uh, against the Boilermakers in Ross-State Stadium. Illinois won the game going away. And I I believe he averaged almost 12 yards a carry uh, in that game. So he has some uh, some fond memories uh, of playing in Ross Aid Stadium. Don't know if you if uh, if you if you've had a chance to talk to him yet. Kind of what his mindset uh, of going back to Ross Aid Stadium is. I haven't talked to him this week, uh, but uh, you know Keyshawn's answers and Keyshawn's demeanor are about the same for every game. It's the old. Uh, <laughs> It's, it was, what's the Gale Sayers quote? Give me 18 inches of daylight sort of thing. Right. Uh, that's kind of his answer with any game that just just give me a little just give me a little daylight and and, and, and I'll go. You know, he led uh, led the SEC last year in yards per carry. I think it was like seven plus uh, one of the top in the country in yards per carry. And that's that's the type of guy that you get. He's a chip on the shoulder type guy. Um, I think he likes the idea of going back into the Big Ten. And playing well because I think he he thought he was underutilized and got kind of a raw deal at Illinois. He was very good as a freshman and then got kind of pushed to the side. So that obviously has nothing to do with Purdue. But I I I know Keyshawn likes the idea of being on the Big Ten Network and trying to have a big game uh, when when he was uh, obviously a Big Ten guy for most of his career. So do you think the uh, the issues on the offensive line, or at least do they get some players back on the offensive line this week to help the offense maybe move the ball a little bit better? If I had to guess, I think they may get one of the three back. Um, so they they had two of their projected starters, their left, uh, left tackle and one of their guards was out, and then their backup guard was also out. So three guys total in the first game. I think they may get one of the three back. I'd be surprised if they got more than that. So uh, to, to kind of break it down, if you went from the left tackle to the right tackle, in game one they had um, a, the their left tackle was a, a guard that moved to tackle. Their left guard was a backup guard. Their center was a brand-new starter, had about seven or eight bad snaps in the first game. Um, the right guard, I think, was their third-team guard and their backup center. And their right tackle was a freshman defensive lineman last year. So it was really a makeshift patchwork type of offensive line, which is strange for the first game. But just a lot of guys got injured in preseason camp. 
They'll have some of those guys back. They did run block better than I thought they would against Georgia. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn averaged about five yards carry, which is saying a lot against that defense. They've got to be better in pass protection, though. And I think they'll be. I think they'll be a little better this week because it's their second game. I also think they'll be a little better because you know, you know, Purdue is solid in their front seven, but obviously they're not Georgia. Right, uh, and I'm impressed. You you knew every little detail about the offensive lineman, which I know that's your, I know that's your job, but it was still. Still impressive the way you rattled that off. So you know, it's uh, you've kind of had to had to know the resume of each of those guys because <laughs> they, they they tend to change every practice. Right now, defensively, uh, we'll talk about Cam Watkins in a second, but um, Vanderbilt is more of a man team in the secondary. Is that correct? That they have been. Um, they'll go to some zone and. I say that basically is speculative because they they've been very multiple on defense. They they've been man, they've been zone, they've been a they were a three four team, and then all of a sudden they're a, they're a four three team, then they're a four two five, mostly nickel team. Um, they love the idea of doing something different each game, and you know it's it's not it's not just cliche. It's a Vanderbilt is a smart the smart campus, smart team. And they feel like they can adjust a whole lot game to game. So that's why you see a lot of multiple teams. But um, it depends. Um, uh, they, they do like man and that they like very physical corners. And you mentioned Cam Watkins there, the the, the Illinois grad transfer. He's a very physical corner, a big, uh, very thick guy. Um, and they like, to, they like to use those type of guys. Um, I, I don't know if they'll do that in this game or not um, because when they face passing teams, you know, in the, in the past when they faced um, when they faced uh, a lot of like mid-major passing teams, ones that run a whole lot of spread and four wide, those sort of things, they'll come out in a base nickel and they'll stay in that almost the whole game. I suspect they'll probably do that in this game. Yeah, because uh, you know when when you hear about playing man against Purdue and then trying to man up against Rondo Moore, that seems like a uh, a, a challenge that maybe you don't want to take on, but. There, there are a lot of teams out there that just feel confident in their own personnel that they feel like they can do that. Uh, but speaking of Cam Watkins, he does have a history against Rondell Moore. He played nickelback last year for Illinois and went up against Rondell. Purdue won the game, uh, I want to say 46 to seven, maybe, or you know, it was a it was a blowout. But what is, what is, what's Cam? What has Cam said about trying to defend Rondell and kind of how how does he view? Rondell and Purdue's, Purdue's offense this year? Well, he, I mean, he was very, very complimentary of him, and I, obviously that, that's something that you can hear in non-conference games just by what you see on film. It's obviously a little different from him because he was mostly matched up with Rondell Moore in those two games. Uh, Cam was the, the starting nickel uh, for Illinois in those last two games, and uh, yeah, I mean... It, when you see him firsthand and see what he can do and, you know, big wins for Purdue. So I, I don't know that he's going to be matched up that much with him because I think he'll be more in a traditional corner role rather right. than a nickel. Um, but, you know, if, if, from what I understand from Jason Tarver, Randy's defensive coordinator, they move Rondell Moore around quite a bit. Right. So, you know, I, I suspect they're not necessarily going to shadow him, but they'll have different coverages that have to, that have to make up for him. And Ken Watkins will be matched up with him a little bit, but, you know, sometimes you hear coach speak in these non-conference games where you'll hear guys say, well, yeah, that that guy is as good as anybody we would face in the SEC. Um, and, and some of that is just, you know, it, again, it's coach speak, but it's not this week. And 
Derek Mason, the, the the head coach, is very complimentary. Rondell Moore and everything that you ask around the team and the defensive coordinator to kind of make a comparison. You, they don't say it, but they you can you can tell what they're saying is that uh, yeah, you know how we usually say he's as good as anybody in the SEC. He's really, really as good as anybody would face in the SEC. I, I, he may be the best skill player um, that Vandy faces all season. Yeah, we heard some of that from Auburn last year, and it was uh, uh, when Purdue played uh, Auburn in the uh, Music City Bowl, and they were very complimentary of Rondell and said that, yeah, he would he would fit in on any program and have an impact in the SEC. And that, to me, is a you know is the ultimate compliment to a player. Like, he can go to any program and then still do what he's doing. You know, he may not have the same numbers at Purdue, but he would have a similar impact because he's that kind of player. But also... Uh, you know, I would I would imagine from Vanderbilt's perspective, they see guys like Rondell Moore every week. Maybe not the same type of player, but that caliber player. So, is, is this really anything new for them coming up this weekend? I guess it's not that new. It's, it's I'll, I'll be interested to see how much attention they pay to him as an individual player. Because um, you know, you will see guys like him that are sort of that versatile guy that you'll, that, that's moved around in the offense. And um, I can think of guys the last two or three years that Georgia's had, Alabama's had, and South Carolina and Florida. And they're, they're not necessarily that caliber, but they're that type of versatile playmaker. And when you play those teams and SEC teams, a lot of SEC teams have that guy, they have other guys around them. So you can't necessarily dictate your defense on focusing – on one skill player like that. Um, I suspect that probably conditions Vanderbilt to know where he is, but not dictate their whole defense on stopping him. That, you know, the, the old idea, he's going to get his, we can't let everybody else get theirs. Right. And, you know, and, and I know Purdue can throw it to a whole lot of different guys and they can run the ball as well. So, you know, I, I, I don't think they're, they're thinking of, uh, you know, keep Rondell more in check that much. I think it's more of just keep him from making the big plays and maybe maybe pay a little more attention to him on third down. But um, don't get too focused on him and allow the rest of the offense to beat you. How do you view Vandy's front seven? And you know, is it, is this a group that can that can get some pressure? Uh, you know, on, on Purdue's quarterback. Well, that's a good question um, because last year they they did not have that. Um, last year they they struggled pretty well in their front seven and they've got a different front seven now they lost a lot of their guys from last year and all that we've seen is the georgia game and you know the first quarter and a half of that game they didn't bring pressure and they didn't stop the run the last two and a half quarters they had they brought decent pressure not much but they did they did clog up the run pretty well so I mean, this is a barometer game for them all over the field, and including that front seven, because we just don't know what to think. Again, because it's hard to, to, to kind of gauge how good or bad the team is against Georgia. This, is, this game is what uh, you know, I'd call toss-up games. Uh, I think Vandy's probably got about five toss-up games on their schedule. Um, a lot of SEC East teams, um, you know, teams that are comparable, if they play well, they'll win it. If they play poorly, they'll lose it, and... The, the talent level is pretty similar. I think that's kind of what this game is. And, you know, they've got Georgia, Purdue, bye week, LSU. So that's two top ten teams a bye week in, in Purdue. If they win this one, then they're one and two uh, at the end of the month, and they are through the toughest part of their schedule, and they can start to pile up some wins towards maybe a bowl. 
if they lose this one, they're, they're most likely going to start 0-3 in the first month of the season. So there is so much on this game. And, um, you know, there, there's so much on determining whether or not uh, people are buying into this as a, as a, as a possible bowl team. Because, uh, again, Purdue is, a, is that type of toss-up game. I'll, I'll be curious to see if they can bring pressure. Because if they don't, I think they get beat by double digits in this game. I tend to think they will. Um, Dio Odengbo is the guy that, that Purdue fans will want to see. He's a, he's a junior. He'll be an NFL draft pick a uh, year and a half from now. Um, he's a, you know, 6'5", 280-pound, very athletic defensive end. Um, they, they've had some good um, defensive end, outside linebacker types, athletic, long-looking NFL guys. He, he's their prototypical guy this year. He gets out of position sometimes, but he has a whole lot of wild plays, and and they're going to have to have him uh, have a couple of those in this game. Is um, you know I don't know I can't remember exactly when this contract was signed or announced, but is does playing a Big Ten team fit into uh, Derek Mason's uh, schedule non-conference scheduling philosophy? Well, I mean I, I I think since he's in the SEC, I think Derek Mason's non-conference philosophy would be to play low mid-majors in SES teams <laughs> as much as he can because, uh, you know, Vandy, to get to a bowl game, you gotta, you got to win six, and so you, you try to go 4-0 in non-conference and win two SEC games. And winning two SEC games is, is quite a bit for Vandy. And so, um, but if you're talking about in terms of the fan base and the culture of Vanderbilt, Vandy fits the Big Ten and fits the ACC as a culture, much more than they do the SEC. So I think the fan base in the university at large really likes these games because it, it seems like a fit. They played, you know, they're playing Purdue now. They played Northwestern in the past. Uh, they think of themselves as those that type of school, um, uh, a Duke, uh, a Georgia Tech. Uh, that's who they fit in with. They fit in with Purdue, I think, in that way. And so I think people like this game. I think it's a good game on the schedule because it's, you, you want to be able to play non-conference games where if you win it, it means something, and beating a Big Ten team on the road, that means something. And if you lose it, it's understandable because it's not, uh, you know, it's it's not a Sunbelt school, so to speak. And so I, I think this is the type of the type of game that Vandy needs on their schedule at least once a year. Yeah, it's just odd that we don't know the – well, we know the return date is 2029. I'm not sure that will ever happen because we've got a whole decade between there and – Possibly another round of conference expansion, or who knows what what the what the landscape is going to look like in the next uh, in the next decade. But I was just curious if this, you know, is this something that we'll see more from from Bandy as you as you move forward the next four or five years as far as scheduling goes. Oh well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard to say because yeah, who's who's the coach at that point? Uh, Malcolm Turner is a new athletic director. Bandy just changed, uh, just got a new athletic director in February, and so. I don't even know really his philosophy yet on scheduling football games. I, I, I tend to think the Purdue game will stay on the schedule, but yeah, but by, by that date we may, you know, we may have ten regular season games in a sixty-four team tournament for, for the for the playoffs. Right. Who knows? Is there? I mean, is, is do you get a sense that the SEC is any closer to playing nine conference games uh, opposed to the eight and trying to get some uniform schedule going on? Uh, you know, at least in the Power Five level? I mean, it, the, the problem is it's dictated a whole lot by what does Alabama want to do? 
you know, and as long as Nick Saban is there, what does Nick Saban want to do? And it's, you know, I'm not saying he's the deciding vote on that, but a lot of times you get pressure from from them and from Georgia and, and the powers that be of what they want, and they still want one, you know, low mid-major FCS game. They still want that, that you know, that gimme game, that basically practice game uh, towards the end of their schedule. Um, you know, the, the thing that would swing that, that, that would change the number of non uh, the number of conference and non-conference games i guess uh would be the crossover games because there is some frustration in the sec about uh, the, the crossover games that the east division playing the west and vice versa so for example in this day uh tennessee plays alabama every year that's their crossover game from east to west division vanderbilt plays Ole miss every year so it, that's the so it, you're in the same division you're, you're having to uh, say apples to apples in your conference games, one's playing the best team in the country and the other's playing a team that'll win five or six games every year. Uh, so it's not set up to be fair, but until it affects the top, until it affects the national championship picture, I don't think you're going to see really a, a change to it. And at this point, the FCC has a legitimate shot to get two teams in the playoff every year, and they're perfectly fine with whatever format puts them in that position. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they're not being forced to change, so why, why change? They're getting, right. they're getting everything they, they want out of it, and probably more. Uh, then, then, so there's no, there's no reason to change for them because they're, they're getting, they're getting the whole, the whole ball of wax right now, which is, that's yeah, just the way, but, but, way but, it is. But, but, <laughs> but let it happen one year where. You know, the winner out of the West, Alabama or LSU or whoever gets upset in the regular season, and then they're going to go into the playoff, but then they get upset in the, in the SEC championship game by a three-loss team from the East, and suddenly the SEC doesn't have a team in the in the playoff, and then all of a sudden you will hear an outcry for, well, we got to change this schedule because something <laughs> something obviously went wrong because we don't have a team in the playoff. Uh, that, that's the way these things always work, that it's right until it's wrong, and then it's for sure wrong. Yeah, that's right, and by that time, who knows what will freeze over if, uh, if, any, of that, if, any, of that, if any of that happens. All well, right. that, 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 that's when we'll get an expansion of the playoff. That's when it'll that, right. that, that's when it'll expand by a couple of by a couple of teams, and and you'll have a wild card scenario. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're headed towards expansion in the next round of TV negotiations with that uh, format. Anyway, uh, I just think yep. there's too much of a push for it, and you, and you need to do it because if you do another long term deal with only four teams, you you really put yourself in uh, I, I think in a bad in a bad position. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll see expansion coming up uh, some somewhere in the mid mid twenties, and uh, it'll probably be at eight teams. I would I would imagine, um, and then you know they'll, they'll go from there, and it'll it'll be fine, and everyone will say, well, why didn't we do this sooner? Uh, type of thing. But uh, that's that's the that's the rant for today, I guess. Well, uh, Adam, uh, your your knowledge and insight about uh, Vanderbilt has been. Uh, it's been excellent. Uh, appreciate your time today. Safe travels up to, to West Lafayette. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you in the press box uh, on Saturday. So thanks for joining us today. Yep, sounds good. I'll see you up there.